David, what do you think about the um, all the UAP stuff going on in Congress yeah. at the moment? That was gonna that was oh. gonna be something I was gonna ask today too. Yeah, that's <laughs> it's it, it feels like it's gonna do the same thing that the SRI remote viewing thing did with psychic studies, which is just crash it and uh, turn yeah. it into a bunch of crappy paperwork nonsense. Mm-hmm. Yeah, it's it. I don't know. I think people are getting way too excited about it. <laughs> that's, that's, uh, yeah, I mean, why, why, when you have such a rich call history, um, why excitement over stemming that all into one of the most inept bureaucracies? Um, it just, it's, it's a very strange thing to me. Uh, and it's really strange to see especially with all the information out there um, on past manipulations of information and that um, the amount of, you know, grassroots movement that they've been able to sort of foster around this narrative um, is really sad to me because it's, I mean, no one's reading the old stuff. No one's actually looking at the history. Um, Those who are, it's very kind of snarky and, um, uh, very ironic you know um so it's it's really just kind of it's it's got this really binary feel to it you know and the stuff with the government i mean i don't know it just looks like a a circus you know i mean that the uap congressional hearings that they had those (laughs) the the folks that the you know the the congress members that they had uh doing that are not really uh high level you know i mean you've got tim burchett from tennessee who's talking alien aliens or demons kind of stuff. And he's all tied in with a lot of the kind of charismatic and um, evangelical circles that, you know, turn this into a spiritual warfare thing. Um, Mm -hmm. It's just not, I don't know. It doesn't look like it's going anywhere, anywhere interesting. So I've noticed that uh, people, people involved in this seem to have lost their facility for, critical thinking um yeah i mean i don't know about you guys but but this uh, so-called whistleblower dude what's his name david uh, grush, the, grush yeah. yeah that guy grush yeah um he sets off so many alarm bells for me it's like bullshit detectors like goes off the meter whenever he's on screen i just don't i don't i don't i don't think he's for real like and it's so obvious to me that he's not for real and people are just eating this up like you know also, the the conversation is still centered around nuts and bolts, yeah. which we should be so far past that, but we're not. And um, so that's that's who's really driving the narrative of these nuts and bolts people. And so as long as that's as long as that's the case, we're going to get nowhere with this conversation. It's not even a conversation. Um, I feel like we're being hustled into a hall that, <laughs> that I don't know about you, but I don't want to go down that hall. Um, yeah. And it's, you know, what you were saying too with, uh, with Grush, I think that if you listen carefully to what he's saying, and this has been pointed out, um, it's, he heard things, right? And you yeah. can go back to Jacques Vallée's journals, you know, the Forbidden Science series, and you see that, that the entire history of, of this, of the, of this level of the presentation of the UFO topic um is just a bunch of i heard this from so and so or there was a rumor yeah. running around and then that trickles yeah. down and you know it's 
people assuming that pe- that folks in positions in the military or you know at a research institution or a think tank or whatever are any less susceptible to rumors that kind of tickle their fancy and what they're interested in it's just foolish because that's you know a lot of it you know um you have kit green who was the one of the you know over the cia weird desk right that's what he's he's famous for and he was involved with the remote viewing program um, you know, and he's had a long history in this subject, but, you know, in Valet's journals, uh, you know, there's green talking about alien autopsy videos that he thinks are real. And then, oh wait, no, it wasn't. And it's just this like feed of rumors and, and stuff. And a lot of the people that are coming out as quote unquote insiders, when you really listen to what they're saying, they were told something, you know, and until we have, we actually see something. And the thing is, if you go to then well, what does it mean to see something and where's that information? We'll start going to the, you know, we got since the 1940s, we have reports of people encountering stuff and those reports of encounters are completely different, you know, I mean, and they're, they're weird and they're strange and they're, you know, even when it is like uh, an encounter with a nuts and bolts craft kind of idea, those encounters are incredibly strange. Um, And we don't have that, you know, we really don't have that with this stuff. There's, a couple people from that initial wave with the the Nimitz encounter and the the Princeton, um, who have had, you know, have gone on to say that they had kind of a numinous experience or that they had some sort of initiatory awakening with the subject. But again, looking carefully at their narrative, they were already primed for that prior to this. And you know, as Joe knows and Ken, you know when you put media in front of people who are primed for something, they can have a wild experience. You know, Bigfoot can show up and they're talking about it, but that doesn't mean that, um, you know, it doesn't mean that there's this direct connection to the, to the thing, you know, it's not that, you know, they could have seen a drone and because of the way they interpreted it, suddenly they're on this vision quest and, you know, having weird experiences, synchronicities, you know, all the rest of it. But, you know, the, the actual trigger for that was them seeing a drone that they misinterpreted, you know, yeah. and with the stuff going on with China and everything and with the amount of technology that's available on just a, you know, on a civilian scale. Um, yeah, it's just really, it's really strange and kind of disappointing to see this opportunity for citizen science and, you know, citizen interaction with research and that turning into what's basically like you were saying, Joe, we're just being fed a narrative and people are eating it up. And they're running with it, you know, and it's just this, I mean, if you look at Twitter or X, um, you know, the conversation on there, it's so, so just tunnel, it's just a tunnel of the same, you know, it's this, this one single narrative. And even if the narrative have, has branches, you know, um, and it goes back to ancient alien stuff, you know, which is, there's an interesting history there with NASA, you know, some of the first people that were kind of talking, were, were jumping on the, the Von Daniken bandwagon, were NASA readers were interested in it. You know, there's a book called Ships of, or I think it's Ships of Ezekiel or something like that. Um, but again, uh, those are beliefs and those are, you know, ideas that they were, were looking at. And now we're bringing that into the conversation again as, you know, you've got people talking about, uh, you know, ancient aliens. I don't know. The conversation itself is created, you know. Yeah. Well, you know, I think I think a lot of this back to same problem I had twenty whatever to go with with doing the the Octap project is um, I was trying to present as you know a non-zero sum game, an infinite game um, to 
the unfortunately I wasn't filtering. I was just putting it out to the general population. What I discovered, like you know, like any good failed experiment, it's never failed. You come away with something. Is that the majority of people out there do not even understand how to play an infinite game. They only know how to play zero sum games. And so when we're how that translates to this situation is uh, as Dave was saying, if if people if people actually were um, had experience with like ritual magic, great example. Ritual magic is like all the things that we were just saying. You put yourself in this state of mind to get these to get these results. And and yes, it may be a drone that sets you off and you go on this vision quest. You still go on a vision quest. You still come back with things from that vision quest that are valuable and useful. But you also know as the magician that it probably was something mundane that that, that you interpreted on purpose. You mind you mind tricked yourself so you could go into this inner space and then have this liminal experience, and I think that's where it breaks down for most people because when you say it's not it's not some what did Terrence McKenna used to say like intergalactic pro bono proctologists that have come, <laughs> um, but it's true. It's like it's it's probably not that. It's almost certainly that. There's a lot of reasons why it's probably not that. The physics alone is a reason that, but you know, like lots of other reasons and why does it have to be that? And then see what I, when I see people getting didactic about it, like Dave was saying on Twitter, <laughs> I recall, I recall when I was trying to like run the game and explain to everybody, everybody's experience is valid. There is no one experience that's valid. The only thing we should be doing is comparing experiences to see if we can learn from everybody else's, but not saying that my experience or our experience is the valid one versus everybody else's. And I couldn't break people at uh, having to do that, right? So it, every, everybody is in, you know, I have to be right. And yeah. you, can't go into, you can't go into these things with that mindset because if you do, you're already wrong. <laughs> you can guarantee you're already wrong. That's the well, only way you can be wrong is to say that I'm, I'm the one that's right. What was interesting... I noticed that there's been a lot more, um, there's been a rise in people believing that Ong's Hat still isn't a game at the moment. I've noticed that a lot recently. <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> that seems to have come like, hand like, in hand, it's, weirdly. It's like, it's like a, every couple of years it goes to a cycle. Um, and then I get, I get all, like, either I get, which the last couple of years have been interesting because I got a lot of young people who recognize it for what it was. And say like I'm an artist like you. I want to do something like that, and, and that encourages me. Like that's that's the whole reason I did this. But there's also at the same time, it's almost like 50%. There's like there's also a rise in people that want to you know uh, contact me and be combative and accuse me of like you know running some kind of government op or doing it for like uh, data harvesting purposes. Like all the all the bullshit I'm going to hear again and again and again. But, you know, it's like a great example of like the, the thing that I just did with the BBC, like not the one that's coming out soon, but the thing that just happened, mm -hmm. the, the, the producers of that were, were actually of that mindset, which I, did, I didn't really get it to like we were all the way in and they didn't even really reveal it till we, they were already in. But they were of the mindset that I had done something evil and mm -hmm. I had to fight them all the way to the, to the release of this thing. Like, like they really wanted to shit on me. Oh, like shit. that's really, yeah, that was their whole thing. So, 
it, 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 um, it, it really convinced me that going forward, nobody else ever w- will ever get their hands on my on my uh, art ever again. It's always going to be produced by me, solely by me, period. Mm-hmm. I'm just not going to do any more of this stuff with the, especially major media people because yeah, so. they're, they're, they're completely duplicitous and they don't even think they don't even, they don't even see there's anything wrong with being like that. It's like, wow, you're a sociopath, aren't you? <laughs> <laughs> well, and that's the, and that's the, the kind of narrative driving thing, you know, I mean, with, with Ong's hat coming back as people believing it, I think that's sort of, that's one of the problems with this, the way that the, the UFO stuff is coming out, right? Because now everybody's searching for answers. Yeah. So you, you have, you know, they've been released into the, into the game field to like run and search for clues on, you know, where are the metamaterials and is time travel possible and all of that. And Ong's hat was so, uh, ubiquitous in in those things you know i mean you go back to the, the early message boards where you got put off arguing with kit green on the you know the the message boards and stuff and within that milieu ong's hat is sitting there it's kind of floating around in the background of all that and so these people who are digging in to try to find you know these these answers you know they're going to hit on ong's hat and if they're if they're of that mind to you know to think that it was real or or to try to interpret it in a way that they understand you know, and with the media, you know, the when you have when you have something like the BBC or the way that, uh, you know, News Nation has jumped on to the, um, the UFO topic, um, they're really uncritical. And the only thing that they want to do is, you know, they have this really kind of like cookie cutter narrative and they want to they want to drive that. And so they're searching for those little spices and the M&Ms to put on top and, the you know, the things to spice up this plain cookie that they have and you know they they grab onto something like Ankh's hat because it's you know it's interesting whatever but they're not talking about Ankh's hat you know i mean they're talking about what their idea is that they're trying to to drive you know and with the the ufo topic and that i mean there was um there was a over in the uk there was a news thing that had uh, a representative of the aetherius society on talking about the UFO topic in, in U.S. Congress. And it was amazing because, I mean, Aetherius Society is George King, you know, channeling Venusians, and and he's a contactee in that. Um, and the, they, they were brought on as, you know, an equal expert to, you know, whoever else they would have, you know, someone who was more nuts and bolts or, you know, you could have a NASA administrator and then the representative of Aetherius Society talking about the UFO. And that's, you know, equally valid. And I, I mean, don't get me wrong. I love the Aetherius Society, but if yeah. I were, you know, as a news agency, I'm not going to, that would not be my first choice to bring on as the, as the people to talk about the current iteration, you know, and they had no context for it, you know, whoever they had as their research assistant or whatever. care this this is a group had you have uh, let's go you know i mean that was that's the 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 gist of it yeah it, it feels like there's i don't know if you two have noticed this as well it feels like there's this kind of weird remystification going on at the moment where lots like the, the conspiracy sphere feels like it's really focusing in on the occult a lot more at the moment and yeah. the general the general public and like tiktok's suddenly flooded with occultism and um people it almost feels like people are trying to build a new mythology for themselves um but they're getting a lot of it wrong that's <laughs> what, yeah. what, what it feels like to me but um you often you know you, you have yeah i mean with the occult world's bickery anyway you know it's the most bickery of groups you can you know 
I've never seen so many people bicker. <laughs> well, you should see the UFO, the UFO, uh, well, topic, yeah. the UFO tactic uh, yeah. rivals yeah. the rivals yeah. the uh, okay. <laughs> yeah, the UFO stuff has always been the, the occult and the UFO stuff has always been that way. There's mm-hmm. always been like this like really nasty infighting. Uh, mm-hmm. like, um, people, I guess people don't remember, but if you, I've, I've, I started reading UFO material like in grade school um, and that in the seventies, that's how old I am. So um, I remember like when I, like, first I was like reading all these books and I was like, Oh, this is really cool. You know? And then, and then as I got a little deeper, I get into some of the, homegrown literature you know some of the zines i guess you would call them by day nowadays <laughs> and i was really like like a fifth day like opening this up and looking at and being astonished like these people are calling each other names and threatening <laughs> each other i'm like what what's this what is this all about it's like i thought we were all in this together no <laughs> mm-hmm. well we just interviewed frata ud and he's infamous for the um what was it called the ice war whatever it was where him versus peter carroll um battling it out oh over. yeah yeah um i've got what was the name of the uh iot we we're just talking about it i should i should remember this yeah so uh, yeah but yeah so i suppose that it was has always been there it's in it is interesting though it, it, there just seems to be this um i don't know almost like a satanic panic starting to happen again as well which yes, is well, yes. Mm-hmm. you know and that's that's one of the i mentioned tim burchett as one of the congressmen who did the ufo congressional hearing thing um, and Burchette is, is, you know, his, his Christian beliefs align with, um, third wave charismatic groups that, that are pushing that, right? Like there's, there's a whole stuff. And the thing is like the Christian stuff really floats under the surface because nobody, you know, nobody outside it is really looking at it. And there's some academics that, that study it because it's had effects in politics, um, but I don't think that they fully grasp like the, just what is going on. You know, I mean, it's, it's got an Ong's hat kind of, uh, feel to it in that they're, they're creating this reality. You know, I mean, there's a Skywatch is a, is a program, uh, sort of media conglomerate that, that sits in this space and Timber Shat is, is in with these, these people in this, this Skywatch, uh, ministry. I don't know. It's like a media ministry sort of thing. But they, you know, I mean, their whole focus been on transhumanism uh, as bringing back the body of the Antichrist, right? The idea that like the internet is going to form the body of the Antichrist. UFOs are demons. They go through the, you know, there's books that they've written. They they source John Keel. They source uh, Jacques Vallée. They source, um, you know, they, they source any, oh, they, well, they, you know, they're very into the idea that uh, Jack Parsons opened a gate. Mm-hmm. You know, the UFOs came in that the whole Babylon working mythology and that all comes from these charismatic spiritual warfare groups um, who have a really sophisticated sense of spiritual warfare because some of the founding people within this movement as it sits now, uh, like this guy, C. Peter Wagner, um, they applied, uh, you know, some of the 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 intelligence modalities of psyops and, and shaping, you know, creating an atmosphere and then, and then moving in and they call it strategic spiritual warfare. And what it is, is it's weaponized, uh, exorcism kind of, you know, and, and so, but they do it, you know, they'll go into like, they'll go into an area and identify the, the, the overarching spirit, right? What's the principality of this area? And, Oh, it just so happens to be, you know, 
uh, you know, if they go to Africa, well, obviously the principality is sitting at the traditional shrine for the village, right? So we gotta we gotta go and have what they call a power encounter and exercise that and demonstrate the power of of Christianity over this heathen belief, you know. And they have a very warfare oriented sense of, you know, I don't know if, if people may be familiar. It's been talked about in the news, Dominionism. But this idea of bringing the kingdom of Christ to the earth in the present time, right? Mm-hmm. And so Tim Burchett, who's over the who's over the UIP congressional hearings, is really pushing this in Congress. He's a member of that worldview. He's he's part of that worldview and those the groups that are pushing that, you know. And so when that spreads into the internet culture, you have people. I mean, Nick Redfern, right? They they quote Nick Redfern's final events. Yeah, the Collins Elite, isn't it? That's what it's called. Yeah, the Collins Elite idea, and that 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 flows into their narrative, and they bring that in. They're they're perfectly because the other. I mean, they're amazing at manipulating and reframing media so that they can, you know, as as a form of you know ministry and event evangelism. But what it comes down to is it's an information operation, you know, and so they're you know they're doing this, and then it spreads into TikTok. Because at the level where the public is engaging this information, you know, if you if if you think that UFOs are a spiritual entity, right, like you're going to run into the the spiritual warfare stuff from these groups, as well as, you know, other people who are framing it a different way. Um, And then you have people, you know, I mean, even people that are working, you know, in in ufo in ufology at higher levels right like i mean i'm thinking like academics academics talk about the collins elite academics talk about ufos as demons and they're they're not discerning where these these ideas are coming from you know and so it is it is kind of bringing back this sense of uh, sort of a satanic panic and, it, and there's this weird thing that's happened over the last decade too where a lot of people have sort of turned against um human potential and that kind of thing. So all these ideas that came out in the seventies and eighties and, and, you know, late sixties, um, have been now framed as a psyop and they've been framed as, you know, like, yeah, we do have these potentials, but every single person prior to now who's talked about it, they've all been, you know, trying to trick us and, and steal our power kind of thing. And, you know, you see that, um, you know, with, with people that, that should know better, you know, kind of, kind of treating that. I think, Joe ran into that the other the other day on Twitter. He had posted something uh, about the Collins elite or a comment, and it turned out that the person was totally down with with, with the idea of the Collins yeah. elite and and the idea that you know Jack Parsons and this person is an occultist, right? And they're like, but Jack Parsons is evil, you know, like, but this was and evil. Kenneth and Grant and Kenneth Grant, oh, yeah. yeah. Like Grant always gets called in, doesn't he? Yeah, yeah. yeah. You know, and it's yeah. just a really strange, you know, and it, it even had the like. I, you know, they said like, you know, it was something like I've, you know, I've, I've, I've really been doing this research. Like, you know, they're, they're very proud of this, this thread that they've created. Um, and you know, they're putting the, they're putting the pieces together, you know, they're tracing the map out and like, obviously, you know, Parsons <laughs> and Grant and all the rest have, have destroyed the reality frame for us all, you know? And it's, it's odd. Cause we, you know, with that kind of stuff, it's like, you're going to spend your time on that. Like, there's a lot more interesting sort of pieces to use in your puzzle you know you can go a little bit deeper and create something much stranger and more interesting but you know it's it's kind of like the lowest hanging fruit gets shoved into this rotten basket that's why i always say to conspiracy kind of people is like 
you don't especially when you're looking at the occult you really don't need to make up all this stuff there's there's so much kind of interesting meat there yeah it's already anyway, there yeah. yeah yeah it's like why would you need to you know i saw something the other day um someone was doing a youtube video about atlantis and atlantis has become a real thing again recently atlantis and Lemuria. yeah yeah, yeah. Um, so this guy was, do you remember there was a toy you could get, um, I, it might even still be in production, but it's like, I think it's called Simon Says, and it's like a, it has oh, yeah. four, four colors on yeah. it and you, you'd have to repeat yep. the color pattern. Yep. This guy yep. had a picture, you know, the famous like, uh, like Platonian, uh, kind of map of Atlantis where it's like, it's, it's similar shape. Oh yeah, this, yeah, like, yeah, yeah. Yeah. So yeah. this guy, this guy was making the implication that the Simon Says toy was actually some kind of Atlantean mind control. I love it. <laughs> it was, oh, of course. Yeah. This is what, and it, it just feels like, you, do you remember, we've spoken about this before, Jay, you know, like we used to talk about how conspiracy was kind of fun uh, until about 9-11 and then it kind of really went dark and went way more to the right and all this kind of stuff. Mm-hmm. I'm There's a part of me hoping that this is a sign that it's going back into the sort of high yeah. strangeness <laughs> kind of. Um, I think I think they maybe all got drained after QAnon and uh, <laughs> and and now like the weirdos are taken back over again. That would be a good thing, but I, I'm not sure. I, I think that's might be wishful thinking. I don't know. Well, I, I, mean, I, think, I think there's always there's always a fifty fifty split. I think like you know like the thing the thing we all have to remember is that not everybody succeeds in initiation. Yeah. Just yeah. just remember that some people flunk the test, you know, and and they and they end up um, in Chapel Perilous. Some people don't get out of Chapel Perilous. Chapel Perilous is a great thing to go through. You can say that as long as you come out the other side, right? Mm-hmm. But if you're one of those people, and I've met some of these people because I, you know, I work these days because I'm kind of a retired guy that writes stupid books. Um, <laughs> I, I work a lot of my days are now are spent working with what's called the houseless because they don't like to be called homeless. Um, and a lot of the houseless are people that suffer from the idea that they're uh, part of a, a organized gang stalking, and yeah. so this is all this is all conversations I have on a daily basis with people now. And for whatever reason, because I listen to them with respect and don't just tell them that they need to get medicated, um, they 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 come to me and talk to me and because I'll listen to what they're saying and I don't just discount it because they don't think all of it's bullshit. Right. I think some of it is definitely coming from a space of mis- misinterpreting what's happening in the world because, because of their circumstances, because a lot of different things have, have led them to believe that the world is out to get them. And, and I don't blame them for that because the world is out to get them to a certain point when they're houseless. Um, so, but Having said that, um, there is this this resurgence of ideas that that are not new ideas. Like when people started coming to me a couple of years ago and asking me about this QAnon thing, because that was a thing I was doing on the circuit for a while. Um, I, I just tried to get through to them that none of these ideas were new. None of it was new. It was it was just now a new. Uh, aggregate of these ideas which are all old ideas the reptilians are old ideas like all of this is new the one thing that 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 pissed me off when i saw the collins elite thing i think it's when i read renford's book what was that 10 years ago now when he came out with that book yeah yeah Yeah, dave probably remembered because i had a tantrum (laughs) i said i said i said this is going to get picked up like this is this is the kind of thing that's going to get picked up and um, a lot of people that i told that to like didn't see it but you know, here we are. We're like 
10 years later or 11 or whatever it is years later. And you've got people, as Dave is pointing out, you've got people in positions of power now who are advocating this thinking. Yeah. So, and it's, it's really you know. strange with the Collins elite thing too. Cause I mean, dealing, you know, and having conversations with academics and yeah. being like, this isn't real. Like, I mean, this is not, you know, this is a mythos. Like you need to understand that this is a, this is a, 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 a fictional meta framing of uh, Christian kickback, evangelical kickback in, um, you know, well, and, and Mormon, you know, kickback against these ideas in, in the government and in the military and in the intelligence circles. And they're like, yeah, yeah, yeah. Okay. And then I hear them, you know, on a podcast or something mentioning the Collins elite. And I'm like, were you listening? Like, just like, you need your, you're an academic, like, come on, this is not like this. The only source for this is a popular press book by Nick Redfern, who just turns them out. Like the guys, he's a pulp writer, you know, which is fine. Like no, no disrespect to that, but like it has its place. And, it, and if you're an academic, like that's not, you don't source that, you know, and no one goes back. I mean, Ray, Ray Boucher is out there. His, his, the source for Redfern's column, the Ray Boucher is active. You can talk to him, you know, and again, it's another, I heard this, or these people came to me and said this and there's, we don't have faces. And what we do have, I mean, we've got something like an actual, an actual academic investigation of evangelical influence in politics, which is Jeff Charlotte's book, the family. And there's a Netflix miniseries on it too, which really points out like what the reality of this is. And it's, it's a lot scarier and a lot more, uh, you know, invasive than just the Collins elite block and psychic studies and, and UFOs. You know, I mean, this, these networks of power are completely different. And I think, you know, it's sad to me because it's such a distraction to, to have this Collins elite idea out there when the actual mechanisms of power are being, you know, uh, pulled and, and manipulated by people who have these strange worldviews. You know, um, or maybe not, maybe strange is a bad word, but dangerous, I would think, worldviews, you know, very, very uh, judgmental and, and skewed. Do you think, you know, in the, be, the, 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 no, go, go ahead. I was going to say, do you think it might be um, like a Christian power grab almost? Like, I, I, yeah. I've, 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 um, oh, yeah, absolutely. I've, I've yeah. noticed because, you know, statistically now we can see that. Christianity's in decline you know I saw some stat that said like it's the first time in history that America's um uh, have gone under 50 percent you know um, identifying as Christians um right in the UK we had something recent similar as well recently and I wonder if doesn't this all feel like it's very convenient for the church or for the yeah, you know, for, for Christianity exactly. and it's yeah. yeah it's like oh hang on if we can get them scared again then we might get them yeah. back get back through the doors again, and that's really what it feels like to me a lot yeah. of the time. Well, I, I wrote a I wrote a piece um, years and years ago looking at Billy Graham because I had noticed that um, triumph the the footage of Triumph of the Will right with Hitler and it's in black and white and he's doing his thing. Yeah. If you put that up next to Billy Graham at the same time, right? Like Billy Graham comes out <laughs> in like 1947, right? If you put that yeah. up to and you put them side by side. It is yep. the same rhetorical devices. And if you yep. look at the history yep. of Billy Graham, Billy Graham is not a good person. Billy Graham is a bircher. You know, he's, he's a, he was in with, with groups that you would never, you would never, you know, the average person on the street 
well, maybe they wouldn't even have any context for it, but not good. Right. I mean, like not a good, not a good guy. Like he's a, he's the pastor of the presidents for a reason. The guy's a political operative and <clears throat> it's really, uh, you know, you, the, the power grab concept, this has been in play for a long time. I mean, you can look at Gary North's book, uh, uh, Unholy, Unholy Spirits, right? Talks about Kiel, talks about Valet. This is a book from the 80s. And it's talking about the psychic, the psychic studies program, maybe, I think it's 80s, but it may be early 90s, but talking about the psychic warfare programs and the rest of it. Um, you can look at, I mean, one of the interesting things with just how, uh, sort of ubiquitous this this sort of infiltration or whatever whatever you want to call it is um there's books from the late 80s from christian ministries that are looking at counter cult stuff and and anti-cult behavior and they're talking about the psychic warfare programs which weren't declassified until 95 and they're talking about them in a knowledgeable way because their prayer circles had people from the FBI, had people from the DIA, had people from various, you know, military and intelligence going to these prayer circles and talking about what was going on at SRI and talking about some of the army programs and that. So, you know, they had this inside scoop on this stuff, but then they frame it in a, in a very specific way and it comes out and then, oh, it gets declassified and look, they really were, they were summoning demons and all the rest of it, you know? And so, you know, this, this kind of power grab as, as the population moves away from it, the, the seats of power are, are being more and more sort of, you know, brought into this, you know, this, you know, this Collins elite stuff is not a narrative that's new. Um, in the seventies, when I was, as, as I said before, I was already reading all the UFO stuff, like anything I could get my hands on, I was reading my grandmother on my dad's side was a fundamentalist. And in fact, she took me to the to to a filming of an Estes Perkle film. I, I missed being in the film by like one foot to the left. <laughs> I can I can actually point out the people I'm sitting next to that did make the cut. I can say that I can I can tell you their names because I was with them and my grandmother. So um, my grandmother got concerned that I was getting into this UFO stuff too much, and thankfully I had a buffer between her and me through my parents but like she she gave me these audio tapes this was like 70 something I was, i'm gonna say 76 ish um she gave me these audio tapes that i took home and i listened to which um i think they were supposed to scare me but in fact i found them like highly entertaining uh, it was this guy i wish i wish i could remember his name peter something he's a preacher and he did a whole series there was like 15 tapes in this series where he took the ufo phenomena and he broke it down biblically and it's yeah. the same. It's the same narrative, like yeah. you know, like UFOs. How they, how they, how they, uh, you know, like uh, what, what is a UFO? Well, you know, if we look at it through this lens, it actually is, you know, the creature that that the Book of Revelations was talking about that had the hair of a lion, and like, you know, and so, I mean, this stuff has been there forever. It's like it's been there for a long time. It just hasn't been as popular as it is now. But you could see. Well, and that's the. You know, over time that it's becoming that. Yeah. yeah and that's the, and that's kind of the, the weaponization of it, right. Is because yeah. see Peter Wagner and them, they actually, they collated all that stuff. And, and part of it is be, and it comes out of the charismatic spiritual warfare yep. scene. Um, because we, so there's an interesting sort of parallel history here in 1947, right. You've got <clears throat> Kenneth Arnold, you got Roswell 
you have the beginning of the the current sort of iteration of the UFO idea. But in 1947, the other thing that you had was there was the healing revivals, right? Like, so you had this massive healing revival across the United States and in Britain and in Australia and, and South Africa and that. And this healing revival um, is where televangelism, right? Like Oral Roberts and like uh, a lot of those people got their start in this healing revival. And they're, when the UFO thing hit, right? When Kenneth Arnold gets popular, the initial interpretation was that this was a sign from God. These were angels coming and the end was the end was near, right? And that was that was the interpretation of it in these healing revival publications. I can't remember the name of the specific one. There's a there's a uh, like a publication that was like the the magazine of the healing revival. And uh, it writes about, you know, this I I don't think it might have been Lester Summerall, but it was, it was another it was some uh, famous evangelist that was talking about how these UFOs are angels. Right. Then what they did was they got some of the contactees in the 50s to come and talk at their healing revivals. So you've got Truman Bethram, who's a contactee coming to this healing revival. You've got a preacher talking about, you know, the end of time and, and the, the Lord's coming back and everything. And then you get Truman Bethram come up there and start talking about what he heard from his contact with the, the UFO people. Right. And, but what they, what immediately happened was, was that Truman Bethram is talking in the sort of theosophical Christ sort of way that comes out of the contactees, you know, Jesus is an alien missionary kind of stuff. And the evangelicals, you know, or, and the charismatics are like, Oh, wait, wait a second. Right. Like, that's not, that's not biblical. Like, what are you talking about? And he's like, Oh yeah, you know, Jesus was, was representative of this idea beforehand. And so then you get the kickback immediately where they go, Oh wait, you know, we, we thought they were angels, but it's a false sign. It's a sign of the end time still, but it's the demons. And this starts out, you know, in the, the late forties, early fifties is, is already, that's, that's the way it starts getting framed. And there's, you know, there's, um, I, I have a great book and it's called like, uh, UFOs on the moon or something like that, or it's, but it's, it's an amazing like early fifties sort of, uh, presentation of the, the idea of the UFOs and spiritual warfare. And it's got this great cover, you know, it's, um, and it's interesting now, some of the, some of the ministries that were around then that published these, these books on, you know, in the fifties and sixties on UFOs as demons and framed that way. Uh, now if you, they, they still have some of their catalogs and their smaller ministries, so they don't, they don't even bother to like change it. Right. Like they still have copies of the book from the fifties that they never sold. So if you get it, you get it and they've X'd out where the UFO books were because it's no longer relevant to what they're talking about. But you know, these, these books still have the, the sort of mention of this, this UFO period in Christianity. And then what happens in the eighties with the very like heavy politics, uh, you know, politics moving into it and the, the really framing it, the, the moral majority movement, right. Which was a, an artificial creation of this, this idea of the moral majority and, and driving forward the, the Christian ideals. Um, you get, you get that narrative coming back in, but in a much more concise, concentrated way. And then out of that comes this idea of the, the Collins elite, you know, but like you're saying, Joe, I mean, it, yeah, it was there from the very beginning. And it was, you know, it was, it was part of, of this idea. Uh, Billy, uh, Billy Graham has a book called Angels and in it, he talks about the UFOs as angels. Of course. Um, and that was, that was written in like 71 or 72. Yep. It feels like, do you, uh, 
you know that show Hellier? Did you see that? Both of you? Yeah. <laughs> Yeah, 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 yeah. I, I, I threw my shoes at the television a few times during that. Yeah, <laughs> if I hear the word synchronicity one more time, God damn it! Yeah, I mean, just, yeah. Yeah, just the whole methodology of how they did things was just like, what are you doing? Mm. But, but one thing yeah. they did do was um, they were very popular with um, a kind of subset of people. I think they were kind of lightly conspiratorial, you know. Um, yeah. yeah, and I think that. When they interview, uh, introduced uh, people like Greenfield, Alan Greenfield, into the, I think that kind of sparked something as well, where people started to, you know, confluate um, aliens and and the occult. You know, we were talking earlier about aliens and you know, kind of, I think there seems to be this real interest again in like th that connection between you know UFOs and occultism, and somehow it's kind of slipped into the conspiracy sphere now, and they all seem to be. It seems to be this real mesh, uh, mess rather of kind of everything's become kind of tangled up. I I hear it all the time now, all the time, and it all I swear a lot of it came from the popular, you know, how popular Helia was, and um, yeah. that kind of connection between, you know, no disrespect to Helia at all, but you know, it's a, uh, you know, I think it was an accidental thing. I don't think they did, they don't strike me as conspiratorial at all, but um, well, maybe I'm wrong. <laughs> not, not in the, you know, not in the Alex Jones. Sense, no, anyway. I, I, yeah. I don't, I don't think they are. I don't think yeah. they are. I think mm -hmm. um, I, I have issues with their methodology for sure. In um, my last book, study on Amero, I actually, um, I did, I, I did a couple uh, that were doing a podcast and, and they, they were definitely a parody of, of Hellier. Um, <laughs> I call it, the the name of the podcast was Handbasket, as in Helen, you know. Um, but the uh, the thing is, the thing is that none of this again, none of this stuff is new. Um, I think I think what Greenfield did, I thought was was brilliant. Like I love reading his stuff. Like um, the, one of the guys that was early involved in Grey Lodge was the, was one of the first people to like help Alan bring that 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 whole thing back, like back into print. Um, the uh, the the secret ciphers and all that stuff. I mean, you know, like I, I obviously I I'm skeptical as to like what is that really about. But it, but just I find it I don't want to say humorous. I find it entertaining, and it definitely it's food for thought. And Alan's you know like not a stupid person, so he, he kind of knows what he's doing. I'll just say that. Um, but when when. I think when that was brought into Hellier, that was a lot of a lot of people's first exposure to that thinking. Mm -hmm. Like, yeah. You know, and so I was, in fact, I was kind of surprised when that came into play. I was like, "What? What? Really?" Yeah, I, I was like, to, fact, "He's actually in the show." What the hell? It was really. Yeah, weird. I was like, <laughs> I was like, how, "How did they? How did they run across this?" You know, of all yeah. things, because like to me at that point, it was it was a very marginal. Uh, oh yeah, I mean, even cause I, I, I'm yeah. sort of quite involved in the whole polemic world and even yeah, in that yeah. world greenfield it was, was marginal was, yeah 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 it was like even more marginal than kenneth grant at the time you know yeah grant, yeah grant went through I mean, especially in the states grant went for this phase where he was like ridiculed and kind of you know yeah he, he was like a sort of polemic outcast almost and then when greenfield yeah. <laughs> i remember when greenfield left the ato that was pretty much it no one really heard from him for a long time after that he was like yeah, yeah he had his big kind of um you know, uh, uh, leaving in a blaze of glory thing, and then I just—he just seemed to vanish. And then, but Helia really brought him back, didn't they? In a big yeah. way, I think. And, yeah, uh, yeah. And it's a good thing. I, yeah. I think you know. I think Greenfield's great, but um, you know, he's a. Uh, 
I've just got his new book actually today. It landed on the doormat today. But, oh yeah, um, I saw that. Let yeah, me know so, how it is because I definitely want to get that. Um, oh yeah, yeah. <laughs> yeah, but, but up until up until Hellier Greenfield was what Robert Anton Wilson used to call himself, which is the counterculture's counterculture. Mm. Yeah, 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 yeah. Well, and he he goes actually back to the like the silver the silver age of saucers. Yeah, you know he he was he started out as a ufologist in you know the '60s, and knew Mosley and he knew part. Uh, I think he, I'm pretty sure he met Ray Palmer, um, and if not, I think he corresponded with him. He's in the he's in the Ray Palmer uh, flying saucer magazines as a you know writing in letters and, and stuff like that you know so that's that was kind of his his beginnings he met valet was didn't it? he um but he was uncredited as meeting him he, uh, when valet first came to the states um before his book had been translated to into a, in, into english um uh, he met with i can't remember the name of the ufologist a very well-regarded ufologist at the time and greenfield was actually part of the kind of entourage that met him yeah uh, yeah yeah there's some yeah. amazing pictures of him at these at those early uh, like UFO like congresses and stuff. You know, a young a young Greenfeld uh, in in a suit and looking very respectable. You know, <laughs> um, but he he knew Keel and stuff. I mean, so yeah, he has this this history and this topic, and it's interesting now to see it comes back around and then through Hellier, it's blended back together and like he's he's come. I actually I was on. Uh, there was a conspiranormal podcast had some zoom meetings during the pandemic and Greenfeld was on those. And I was asking him about, uh, you know, like, did he still have stuff, right? Like, does he still have material from that time period? Cause the, all the saucer magazines and, you know, just ephemera and stuff. And he was like, Oh, I got boxes. The plastic boxes filled with stuff. <laughs> he like, didn't care. You know, just like, yeah, I got a bunch of crap from then. Like it's sitting, it's sitting in storage. Don't care. You know? Um, and now it seems like with the the UFO becoming a more of a hot topic, I see him on Twitter posting more about UFOs and stuff. And I think he's sort yeah. of reclaiming part of his past, which he had kind of relegated to the the plastic story. Well, I mean, that stuff comes and goes. And uh, again, to most of us here, I think we're if we've seen the evolution of this stuff like come and go. So. Yeah, I remember back in the back in the '80s when I first started working with um, a group in Santa Cruz. That it was actually the group that came to be known as the Black Lodge. Um, the, the Black, Black Lodge, Lodge of Santa, Santa, Cruz. Santa Fe was it that one? That, that, that lot? Um, it, well, they called themselves Orbit One. Orbit One, okay. and it was it, it was a, it was a, it was a group of people that with David Jones that left the Berkeley Lodge, and they all went to like formed a lodge in Santa Cruz called Orbit One. Um, but anyway, um, they, you know, like that as early as, as as early as like the '80s when I was working with those guys, and I wasn't a member of the lodge. I was just kind of like working with them alongside them because they were doing some Enochian stuff that I was interested in, and I introduced them to Ralph Abraham, and he was doing an academic uh, examination of Enochian and John D. It was Santa and, Cruz, uh, yeah. Sorry, I just looked it up. It was they, they, there's a PDF floated around. It's like where it's like, yeah, 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 yeah. It's like a real adventure, isn't it? They're like doing the Nokians, yeah, stuff yeah, yeah. It, yeah, and like trying to avoid yeah. bilberries and all sorts. <laughs> it's quite yeah, but I mean, but, but 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 the reality of that situation. So there's somebody here who was not involved in in the middle of that. I was watching it from the outside. It was um, 
it was a group of people. There was obviously with any group of people, there's uh, there's always these political dynamics that have. Um, uh, the guy who wrote it, I think, um, I think he went by Seder when he wrote it, but his, but his real name was Michael. Um, he, he and his wife got involved in, you know, like what what happens with these things? Like people get involved with other people, there's feelings are hurt and stuff like that. I, I remember going over there one time and knocking on the door and hearing bumping and screaming inside the apartment. And then somebody eventually came to the door and all this, they just cracked the door and said, do it that will so be the whole of the law. And I just like, uh, love is the law, love it or will. And they like opened the door and let me in. And they claimed that when I knocked on the door, I triggered some demons that were like running around the apartment or something. And I'm like, I'm just like scratching our head. I'm like, what the hell is going on over here? What well, then I discovered what was going on around there was what there was, there was some methamphetamine use. So yeah, of course, everybody got, got paranoid and all, and it all got weird. Yeah, of course. Yeah, who would have thought that a bunch of people, <laughs> bunch of people doing magic might go a bit weird? <laughs> that seems yeah, I think, and and when you when you and when you add bad drugs to the formula, that it gets even weirder. So mm. when I read that 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 Black Lodge thing, I'm like, well, yeah, there was some there was some stuff going on. There were people being stupid, um, but I don't buy like, you know, like that there was a Black Lodge. It was a bunch of people. Some of them are very intelligent. Um, who, who went on to do some really great um, scholarship around D and around um, who just got, you know, got weird. It's like every drugs got involved. Healings got involved and people got weird. Mm. And that's really what it, what it all boils down to. Um, but you know, when you read this stuff and if you weren't somebody who was around, although I was, so I, I have a filter, but if I wasn't there and I read this, I might, you know, I read this, like I think it's intended there was this once upon a time, there was a black lodge in Santa Cruz, you know, it's like that's what, you know, and, and people pick that up and they repeat it. This is like the same thing we're talking about again and again. So with, with this Collins elite stuff, like, you know, like I, I know a meme when I see it, I know something that's potentially a meme when I see it, when I saw that Collins elite stuff, I was like, uh Oh, <laughs> how can I stop this fire out? But too late. Yeah. You know? I well, remember that. I remember that distinctly. Yeah. <laughs> you, would, you were, you, you, you were like, you remember this is how, how upset I was. <laughs> oh yeah. Well, because well, I saw was, the, I saw, I saw the potential, you know. Yeah, well, and it was also, it was kind of sad too, because there was at that time period, you had books on Jack Parsons coming out that were sort of reevaluating yeah. his life and bringing yeah. forward just the, the the weirdness of the fact that Jack Parsons was like, you know, so inter not uh, integral, maybe a. a a little overblown term but he was you know he was in the founding of the space program like he was there like at yeah. the beginning you know doing this stuff during you know like manhattan project era stuff and uh after that right but like in that uh to to have that reframing sort of hijacked by this collins elite idea it was like man really like do we do we, are we gonna do this like why why you know well, also the thing that annoyed me a lot about that, because as, as you probably know, Dave, I'm a huge fan of Jack Parsons. Um, yeah. And and I think I think uh, as a lot of people have pointed out, sometimes he could be a little sloppy with with his magic, um, but he definitely had heart, and and he had the heart of a poet. And I think that's necessary to do good magic is to is to have the heart of a poet, not just be uh, you know. 
because I, I think, as, as Crowley put it, um, the method of science, the aim of religion, right? And I, I, I would probably change that a little bit because I don't like the aim of religion necessarily, but, but I get what he was saying. I, I don't want to split hairs. And I think people along the, along the way have like dropped the aim of religion idea, or, or I would say heart of the poet. That, that, that resonates yeah. better for me than aim of religion. Aim of religion to me means take over the world and convert everybody, but yeah. <laughs> which I'm not okay with. But um, I think I think what got lost along the way was was the spirit that, that Jack was definitely, you know, an icon for. And so I look at what he, and people like Kenneth Grant and Jack Parsons to me are, are you know, the true current. They represent the true current. Well, it's definitely the thing that's really interesting at the moment is there's a massive boom in Kenneth Grant at the moment. Like everywhere you look, yeah, and which is good, which is great. But it, I wonder why it took so long, and I, I wonder if, again if this has something to do with the UAP thing as well because Grant was quite yeah. UAP kind of heavy, wasn't he? I, yeah. I could say UAP just because it just seems to be what everyone's calling it these days. I yeah. prefer UFOs, yeah. but um, you know, but um, it, it's really you know we've been talking to Michael Staley about it, and you know. You, Every occult shop now has Kenneth Grant. Well, good occult bookshop has uh, Kenneth Grant books in it again now, which is it's, it's a great thing to see, you know. And he seems, I just see him popping up everywhere, even in conspiracy circles again, which is yeah. you know not so great. But um, it's like, yeah, I don't, I, I, I think maybe people. I'm not saying we're going post Crowley now, but it does feel like people are kind of yearning for something, you know, a bit more juicy or a bit, a bit sort of outside of the because Crowley's very kind of dogmatic he has a system and you stick to that system and if you've yeah, ever yeah. been in the OTO or around OTO people you you know that it's all yep. it's like it's a Crowley fan club a lot of the time you know and it's like yeah, no yeah. We, we, we stick to that that's it whereas Grant and Parsons and you know um like uh, I don't know Austin Osmond Spare these sort of people they all seem to yeah, like yeah. take take this kind of system and then sort of just go crazy with it especially Grant I mean he's yeah. he, 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 he I went a bit mad rereading all of those books. There's so much great, yeah. so much to take in. You're just like, oh my god! It's like, yeah, and he takes it in some really quite well questionable at times directions, but oh, oh, you know, interesting directions at least. And um, but well, yeah, he's no, adventurous at least. At least he's adventurous. Yeah, exactly. He's not, um, and yeah. he he doesn't feel like a lot of um, Crowley. Obviously, he's he's very steeped in the Bible and biblical language and kind of because uh, obviously that's how he was raised in a you know really strict. Uh, religion yeah. the Plymouth Brethren but whereas Grant and Parsons etc they all feel like they're not being kind of held back by that almost Crowley always feels like he's slightly held back he's kind of really a- attached to that biblical stuff still in a way he's anchored by it in a way whereas these guys are sort of freed from it and it, I, I wonder if that again it's like a, it always comes back to religion with me at the moment. <laughs> it seems like it, it, you know it's like it really feels like that's what's going on, and um, and people are kind of finally going. Okay, let's let's actually look at this kind of stuff now, and and see you know see if it works. I guess you know. Well, I mean, people people have pointed this out before. I know, but um, Crowley not only came from a religious background, but he but he came up through the Golden Dawn, mm-hmm. and the Golden Dawn is highly Masonic, but it also is Christian. It's like very Christian oriented. Like if you look at the Lesser Banishing Ritual, the pentagram, that's really a Christian oriented ritual you have the four well, angels don't you oh, yeah, yeah the four yeah. angels the host you're making the sign of the cross mm-hmm. when you're drawing it down and you know so and i'm not saying it doesn't work because it does mm-hmm. um i'm just saying that you have to be cognizant of that that, that uh, that's rooted in that and i think that the the um 
the origin of that, if you look at if you look at what what happened in the Renaissance, um, you had um, Pico della Mirandola who was doing all this uh, uh, um, work with the, the materials that were coming over. Uh, you know, was was definitely cognizant of the fact that he had to be careful about what, what was written because it was still in a time where you could get in a lot of trouble by saying the wrong thing in front of the church. Right. I mean, it was, it definitely was past the inquisition, but it, the, the Renaissance was happening, but it hadn't happened. You know what I'm saying? So a lot of that stuff got uh, filtered through Christianity. That's how you got Kabbalah with a C. Mm-hmm. Right. So yeah. you got all this, this Christian interpretation and all these Christian filters around it, which, you know, I understand they did that to probably save their life in the limb um, or at very least like, you know, like be able to work again. Um, but that's where all this, a lot of this idea came, these ideas came from that translation. So you just have to remember that there's, there's, there's a the patina of Christianity that's going to follow that for a little while until it gets knocked off. And the other thing was, I was on the one-on-one podcast um, recently that comes out next month, I think. But um, the I was talking to the one, the host on that, and he was saying, "Well, why does Crowley always speak in in kind of riddles or you know in this kind of <coughs> backwards language?" Like the example everyone always gives is the you know um, blood of the moon, which is, means menstrual blood, and then kill a hundred and fifty children or whatever which is obviously yeah you know, yeah, uh, yeah yeah yeah, yeah. Uh, <laughs> um but it's like well the reason he did that was because the nation england at the time was extremely christian and if you you know if you um publish stuff like that you would be put in prison you know it's as simple as that you know like it, it, i think and again that's another you know dovetailing back towards the christianity thing that's crowley's another massive target he always gets targeted by i mean that's nothing new he's always been targeted by conspiracy theories, yeah but yeah yeah it's again that seems to have come back around again as well now so now crowley's seen as he's been called the satanist again and the devil it's like we've just spent the last like 30 years like going no 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 he wasn't a satanist <laughs> it's like now he's a satanist again it's like okay um, well i mean he he has, he has a little bit of a responsibility for that because <clears throat> And I and I and I totally resonate with why he did this because I do it sometimes. It's like when you get accused of doing ridiculous shit, sometimes the funniest thing to yourself to do is to lean into it. Mm-hmm. Yeah, yeah, which he did. He totally I mean, did. Oh, he was like, well, he of course, was like I'm Kardashian. the most man. He was like yeah. the Kardashian of his times. He loved scandal. He loved all of that kind of stuff. He loved anything to sort of. Yeah, I mean, Alice Kardashian. Yeah, yeah. But yeah, no, yeah. You so, know. you know, it, it's funny when you do it's funny to yourself when you do that. It's funny because, you know, like the people that you're trying to you're trying to trigger get triggered, you know, so it's kind of a troll. Crowley was a troll for sure. Oh, yeah. A pre-internet troll. And um, it's funny. It's funny until it's not funny because sometimes that stuff comes back to roost on you. I'll just say that mm-hmm. when when you st- when people start showing up on your doorstep, mm-hmm. then it get then it gets not so funny. Yeah. 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 <laughs> The, um, it's interesting with the, his Plymouth Brethren uh, connection because the Plymouth Brethren have a, a guy, I think his name is George Pember, who in the late 1800s was writing a book on the uh, sort of the, the pre-flood narrative, right? And so in, in the book of Genesis, there's 
read a certain way because of the translations and because of the way it's written, there looks like there was an earth before earth, or at least there was a, 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 a human before human, right? And uh, I think George Hunt Williamson uh, and possibly Von Daniken go into that in terms of, you know, these were, uh, uh, what's his name? Um, uh, oh man, I can't, his name's uh, Brinsley Porla Trench. Is that I think Brinsley Poor Latrench, who's a, a he was one that he was the one who brought the uh, UFO topic to Parliament in Britain. Hmm. Um, he actually, yeah, he actually brought that because uh, Prince Philip was really interested. He had he was a loyal subscriber to the Flying Saucer Review, hmm. uh, and but uh, yeah, so Brinsley Poor Latrench talks about this too. This idea that there was in Genesis, there's this pre-existing thing that then gets. Uh, disappears and then you have Adam, right? And so uh, George Pember wrote about that, but he wrote about it and the you know the flood and the Nephilim and the idea of the the, the you know uh, demons mating with humans and the rest of it. Um, Pember was uh, was a prominent uh, Plymouth Brethren and uh, wrote a book that was about basically psychic research at the time framed as a as a pre-deluge methodology of the nephilim right and so as spiritism and spiritualism were coming into the fore in the 1800s and early uh 1900s you had uh that being framed as a return to you know this idea of the the demons coming back you know and um one of the folks that uh crowley drew on a lot ida craddock um she had written a book called the heavenly bridegroom um which is where a lot of the the sort of sex magic components come in and she said that she had a spirit husband and she framed it in the same way whereas you know she was looking at the genesis text and this idea that you know or incubus succubus narratives from the the middle ages and that um and so it's really interesting that that kind of christian influence it's just it's so it's such a prevalent worldview that's just sort of bled into everything, mm. um, you know, and you see it, it just it continuously comes up. Even when people are standing outside that, they're still drawing on this narrative uh, that's been given, you know. It just, it's just depressing because it did feel like we were scrubbing it away for a while. Yeah. <laughs> but now yeah. it feels like it's bleeding back in again and like it always does. Yeah, and it's, it's, uh, yeah. Well, and that's the spiritual warfare thing too. It's really interesting. I mean, that's, that's by design, you know, I mean, they're, reframing and taking over ideas you know they're they they search out egregores they search out memes and then they insert their their narrative into it and reframe it such that that meme can still sit where it naturally would be or that that idea can sit in its culture enculturation where it, where it came from but then it's got that subtle twist that brings it back to uh you know sort of a, a form of evangelism to draw people in and it's interesting, too, because the, the rite of exorcism, right, you have to, it, it's actually a rite of conjuration. Because if you look at the actual performance of exorcism, whether it's Catholic or Protestant or in Tibetan uh, tradition, you know, Buddhist traditions, Taoist traditions, African tradition, wherever you go and you see the, this idea of taking a possessing spirit out of somebody, you have to name it and conjure it first. Right. And so in a weird way, this Christianization of things, they're naming demons and they're creating the demon that then needs to be taken out by Christianity. Right. 
you you look at this this thing and you're saying that's demi- oh the reason that you're depressed well that's a demon and you know that demon of alcohol the demon of schizophrenia the demon of uh, religion the demon of of Buddha you know I mean whatever it is so they name it as a demon they they frame it they they clothe it in all of your problems and then they offer you the solution you know that creates so, an egregore that's what it sounds like isn't yeah. It? That's yeah. exactly, yeah. That's well, exactly, it's, it's, yeah. Also, it's, it's also marketing 101, create the problem right. and yeah. offer the solution yeah. for sale, yeah. Yeah. Yon, Yon Juliano, right? Like writing about uh, Eros and Magic in the Renaissance, talking about how, uh, you know, Renaissance concepts of magic and enchantment and phantasm are all directly analogous to public relations and uh, mm-hmm. marketing mm-hmm. and advertising. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Yeah, it's interesting. It's like, um, <laughs> like what's his name? David Icke says, uh, "Problem, reaction, solution." Doesn't he? That, that's his big one of his big uh, yeah. conspiracy kind of mantras, isn't it? He, yeah, the, prob- the Hegelian, the Hegelian dialectic. Yeah, exactly. Into, yeah, it's, the applied, <laughs> not, the applied Hegelian dialectic. And then he starts talking about reptiles. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> does does he still talk about that? Does he still talk about that? Yeah, yeah, yeah. I think so. Yeah. Does he? Huh. Yeah, although he's he was always like a bit of a um, like a stop out almost. You could like you could almost get away with liking David Icke because he was a bit new age, a bit kind of you know um, yeah. a little bit less. Uh, but re- more recently, he seems to be cashing in a bit on the you know the this kind of weird middle middle aged conspiracy theory. I call it you know like. I, him, yeah, go on. I was I was just gonna say I see him floating through the the five D. Uh, oh yeah. That's what you I mean. Know, the, yeah. Oh yeah. Live like you know, out of the matrix stuff. Well, that's the crazy what thing. I, like recently, um, that I always I gave this example. I think on another show. Um, but there's a guy down the road from me. Um, who used to run a YouTube channel. Well, still runs the YouTube channel. Um, but the YouTube channel's content used to be completely different. He used to um, have like I don't know, twenty thousand subscribers, and he used to um go on these walks through the British countryside. And the whole point of the thing would be him walking around the British countryside and showing people, you know, these kind of sites or heritage buildings or whatever, you know, it's all very, um, very homely and kind of, you know, very, and then all of a sudden he did a a commentary on a conspiracy video that came out. Um, It'd obviously been bubbling up in his, in his mind or whatever. Um, I can't remember the name of the, I couldn't remember it last time, actually the name of the, it was with Nick Shrek. That's when it was. It's in the Nick Shrek, yeah, Nick Shrek episode. But um, all of a sudden, he did this one video, and he suddenly gets tons and tons of new subscribers. Completely changes his content. And what's really yeah. interesting is he's from this group that I'm sort of seeing all the time now. It's like uh, people in their kind of very late forties, fifty, no, maybe like mid fifties onwards. I'd say that never would have been into conspiracy theories before, but all of a sudden they're like that, there's entire groups. There's like Karens in the you know in the in the US, like <laughs> in Middle America that all over the place though in america it seems as well like people from this age this demographic that were never interested in conspiracy theory before just especially since like the lockdowns and stuff have just exploded like they're everywhere Mm -hmm, mm -hmm, and it's mm -hmm. like i and it's so strange seeing that stuff being kind of mainstream now it's like it's still like i find it you know it's it's crazy like i i was in a queue in the supermarket the other day in front of like behind rather two ladies and must have been early sixties, late fifties. You know that sort of that sort of age range. Both of them just talking about uh, like um, chemtrails and all the you yeah. know all the stuff. Yeah, it's so bizarre. It's like 
really this group it's like they're they're the conspiracy theorists now <laughs> it's like when did that happen well, you know, how did that happen that's the that's a, the a, lot, a, a lot a lot of this happened um <clears throat> excuse me with the um popularity of yoga and the yoga channels uh, were getting all this uh targeted advertising through the through the you know um the algorithms, uh, they all this stuff was like getting advertised to these yoga people. And so they got it, they got exposed to it again and again and again and again. And that, 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 you know, like to some people that, that has an effect. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Yeah. Well, and also with the economic, you know, the economic trouble, people need an answer. You know, you saw that with, um, uh, I'm forgetting the guy's name. Um, Eben Alexander came out with that book on near-death experiences. And, uh, you know, he was a, a neurosurgeon uh, that had had um, a, a near-death experience. And so he wrote about it and it was, um, it was, you know, I saw it at like the grocery store, right? It was big enough where like the book would was just available everywhere. But mm-hmm. it came out at a time period where the demographic shift was shifting towards, you know, an older population, the dem- especially the demographics that were buying these books um, or that were buying books, period. Right. Like it was all shifting towards folks who were approaching death and they needed to they needed to deal with that. And so you saw this massive upswing both and, you know, Christianity, again, being sort of a marker for the market because they're constantly trend watching to, to hijack the trend, the trend jacket. Um, and the you know, that stuff came out. And it was it was just this demographic shift towards you know more people that were of an older demographic that had these questions and wanted answers, and so suddenly there was this market for NDEs, you know. And I think with all the the shifts in politics and the economy and just the changes in the world and stuff like that, you know, and all of this stuff is was predicted in a lot of the the forecasting in the seventies. You know these these shifts that were going to happen as the population aged, as they were facing different technology. You know, as things got more confusing. I mean, you look at like the congressional hearings on social media, where they don't even know how Facebook works. They've like never been <laughs> on it. They totally like this mind-boggling like, whoa, there's Twitter. Like, what is that? <laughs> and so um, they, uh, you know, that confusion. Then when you stick these answers, like, well, it's because of the reptilians. It's because of the chemtrails, you know, like, of course you're confused. Like your head filled with aluminum dioxide. Like I said, this yeah, in the, and, I said this in the Shrek interview as well, that it not Shrek as in Nicholas Shrek <laughs> interview. Um, <laughs> it was a uh, um, um, uh, conspiracy theory and Christianity both have a, they're both sort of different, but they have the same function in that they kind of both explain away chaos, don't they? So yeah. you've got um, Christianity, obviously, if something goes wrong, it's God's will. You know, that, you know, there's chaos in the universe. It's because it's part of God's plan and you know, God works in a mysterious way. And with conspiracy theory, you get the same thing. So you've got, you know, if there's chaos in the world, it's the Illuminati or it's, uh, you know, it's it's the reptile people or, you know, whatever. It's the lizards. Um, it. I, maybe it's appealing to people that kind of want to be Christians, but don't really want to be Christians, but need that kind of chaos explaining mechanism. That's kind of the way I, I kind of, they both yeah. have that mechanism built into them. And it's a, it's a coping strategy, isn't it? It's a, to me, that's what it feels like. Anyway, you can blame it on somebody else. It's not, you know, it's not something out of our control. It's been controlled by someone and we can stop it. It's, that's kind of uh, 
what it always feels like to me anyway. Well, I don't know about you guys, but I've <clears throat> I've noticed a lot of people that were recently that were what I consider to be not very likely candidates for conversion to Christianity, converting to Christianity. Yeah. That's been happening a lot lately. People from the uh, uh, radical environmentalist movement, which I am a part of, um, like suddenly becoming um, Orthodox Christians. Yeah. And I'm like, what? Where did that come from? People that, that were, uh, I don't want to say any names, but people that like are steeped in mythology and folklore and things like that, suddenly converting people that were, you know, previously pagan converting to Christianity. And they all have like this, you know, like this uh, explanation for it, but it mostly boils down to uh, that they're, they're afraid, but they're afraid of the turmoil and and the confusion that's happening in the world. And they're looking for an answer. Yeah. It's really yeah, that so simple. Yeah. Yeah. Chaos. And, and, with, and as, as Joe, you were saying with the, with the algorithms and just the amount of targeted information in that. Yeah. And it's, it's interesting too, cause it's like, it's a kickback from people that, you know, you're producing YouTube content or you're producing some form of content. Right. And like, there's these mecha- there's these tools you can use to get that in front of the people who will be susceptible yep. to that to buy the product yep. to watch it get the click and so what's the easiest thing to hit is those fears right and what is easy i mean like i saw today i saw it was awesome there's this uh bigfoot uh i think it's, it's sasquatch chronicles right <laughs> and it's you know it's it's completely bigfoot niche oriented um content right and they had they, it's a lot of listener stories kind of stuff, you know, like so and so was in the Texas like desert and they saw a Bigfoot or whatever. And they had this one story from Arizona. But what got me to actually look at it was the fact that the the preview image was two guys playing paintball, right? And it was Sasquatch Chronicles. This is on Instagram. And it was Sasquatch Chronicles and it's two guys in the mask with the paintball guns, with the you know, the netting and everything, and they're sitting there playing paintball. And I was like, what does this have? Why are they playing paintball and a Bigfoot came or like, what, like, what's this, what is this story? So I look at it. No, no, they just needed a, a stock image for guys shooting guns. So they used people playing paintball. And that's like, that's the level. There's another, there's another one. It's a popular YouTube channel where they put together these sort of like pan and scan Ken Burns, you know, like montages to go along with like dramatic readings of listener stories. And mm-hmm. they had this one where the, the story involved this guy encountering a dog man and uh, he went off road, right? Like he, he, he drove off the road or something and there was, there was a dog man. But the image that they used, it was stock image of uh, somebody like four wheeling through the mud. And I was like, well, this is, this is a story about somebody driving their sedan, like onto a dirt road. And like, you literally have people just like peeling out in the mud, you know, like Tokyo <laughs> drift, like, Whoa! and I'm like, this is, this is not the story. Like this is, but it didn't matter. Right. Cause it was just that illustrates somebody driving in the mud. There you go, done. Um, and, and people are eating it up. Like, it's just, you know, so when you think about this, you know, people adopting these ideas, um, the threshold is low. <laughs> you know, I mean, the, <laughs> the need for sophisticated content is not really. You can just but whatever sort of looks like similar-ish, you know. And then people develop their own stories because they're searching for these answers, you know. And so, mm-hmm. but it's mm-hmm. really interesting because in the past, 
you know, it would take like Time Magazine or it would take Life Magazine or it would take the New York Times or somebody to really push that. But now it's just people that are like, I need more clicks on my ad, on my ad revenue. Let me just put this up, you know. And you know I mean, what's going to happen I, with that. You know that the Chinese whispers effect is going to happen where people have read that Sasquatch or listened to that Sasquatch story. And now it's going to mutate into, oh, there's this story where Sasquatch was driving a four wheel across the. It's kind of how this stuff yeah. happens, isn't it? It's like. That's exactly. Yeah. yeah. Well, <laughs> and you, you have this thing too, where like the, um, I mean, with the, the New York Times story in 2017, Leslie Keen and Ralph Blumenthal, right? That sort of brought the authorization to look and take UFOs seriously, right? Or you and and now UAPs, right? And that 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 2017 article was sort of the the crux point of that in pushing it into the media. You'd had build up to it, the New York Times thing hit. But I've been tracking the public interest through Google Trends, right? You can see people, what people search for and, and that kind of thing on Google Trends. It's, it's a sloppy way to do it. It's like real, it's not, if you're doing actual data analytics, it's obviously not the way to, to do a really robust analysis of it, but it's good enough. Um, and it's good enough to show that people don't care. The public does not care. So that then it, there's a, there was a lot of conversation, you know, amongst academics and you know, people, scientists and that, that wanted to look at this stuff of, oh, well, the New York Times has authorized this look, right? Well, it may have authorized it for, you know, people in Silicon Valley and people at universities and scientists, you know, researchers, but it did not authorize it for the public. The public didn't care. And if you look at when the trend actually spiked, it was in 2000, uh, it was 2008 or 2010, there was uh, Stevensville, Texas, flyover over George Bush's ranch. There were, was a sighting of these UFOs, like this, and it was a big thing. And it got it local. A local journalist went in and started investigating it. Um, ended up killing her career um, because she took it too seriously and was actually trying to find answers. Um, but that the public was interested in that because people saw it. Real people saw it. The stuff that's being talked about now in military training ranges, military pilots, no one in the public gives a crap about that stuff. They don't they don't care. They didn't see it. There's no flap. You know, I mean, in the 70s, you had flyovers over Georgia. Police are chasing UFOs. You, you know, you have this, this people like actual civilian public seeing this stuff. But, it, you know, it hasn't shifted it. Um, and you see, I mean, no matter, and I, and I can see the, you, the congressional hearings, nobody cared. It didn't, I thought, well, maybe this is going to push the needle. No, because no one is actually seeing these things. Like there's no flap, you know, um, there's some stuff in Peru and South America, uh, Brazil, um, where there's some cases and stuff like that, but the U S population and, and the global population isn't focused on those kind of local issues. You know, if something locally happened in, in, you know, like if, there was a big wave over London, like, and people saw it, then it would move the needle. If there was a big wave over, you know, Los Angeles or New York or something, people, or even local stuff, right? Like people would be interested. There was the Chicago, the O'Hare sighting um, in the 2000s where that, that kind of pushed the needle up, you know? Yeah, but what yeah. does push the needle is, is this low level YouTube content and social media content, TikTok, Instagram reels and that kind of thing, Twitter, right. That do push it um, and do push it deeper than when it comes out in the mainstream media, which wasn't always the case. You know, it used to be again, you know, once the mainstream media signed off on something, Oh, okay. It's cool to believe it now. Now let's talk about it. But now 
it's this sort of, you know, it's this stuff coming up from the, the street level or, you know, the level of people just looking to monetize content. Um, and that's pushing like worldviews, which is really disturbing and, and strange. Mm. Yeah. Well, you can have a YouTube channel now and you can get, you can do a video on a YouTube channel. And if you have, if you have the right YouTube channel, you can get more views than a, than a uh, mainstream yeah. network show would yeah. get. Yeah. Well, Svengoolie, right? Svengoolie, who's the, the horror host in Chicago. Uh, yeah. There was an article that came out that was looking at his the rise in his career again, and he's getting uh, better viewership than uh, CNN on his time yeah. slot. Yeah, you know, and and this is a guy that's been around since the '70s who took over for from someone else doing a horror host, like a classic, you know, yep. dressed up and doing schlocky dad jokes uh, with with horror movies, you know, and that's getting better viewership than CNN. Yeah, I think I had one of his. I think I bought a DVD. It was uh, introduced by Sven Gulli. It's like yeah, a horror, horror film. Yeah, yeah, that's likely. Yeah, <laughs> yeah. I'd, I'd like to object to the fact that he dropped the son of, but uh, okay. Because <laughs> <laughs> I'm I'm from the generation of the original Sven Gulli, so. Uh, yeah, which was a, which was a different animal. Huh. He was a different animal too when when Jerry was. Yeah, there. yeah, yeah. It was a uh, uh, Jerry Jerry Lee Bishop, I think his name was. Um, yeah, yeah. Jerry G Bishop. Um, yeah, he basically he, he was a Groucho Marx enthusiast, and very surreal, very drug oriented, without necessarily like really saying drugs, but implying drugs a lot. So yeah, I grew up I grew up with that, and uh, and when when the current guy came came out he originally it was called the son of Svengoolie, but then they eventually dropped that and went went back to Svengoolie. Does anybody remember To the Stars Academy? Oh yeah, <laughs> I have a T-shirt, man. I have a T-shirt that uh, Greg Bishop got me uh, when he was visiting with them. Uh, he actually went and hung out with Lou Elizondo to talk mm-hmm. to him. Uh, to uh, I don't know if he was i think he was bringing he was bringing uh he has a he and a group of folks designed um you know those brian eno cards the i forget what they're oh, called yeah, yeah. the oblique the strategies Ble- oblique strategies yeah so they did yeah. obli- an oblique strategies for ufos um and he brought elizondo that and then some other stuff and they they talked and i was like you get me a t-shirt from this this group this is exciting. <laughs> um, so i have a t-shirt yeah from them is that the big one? Well, I mean, it, it, they, they, they seem to be the ones that really kicked this off. And, yeah. and now they, they almost feel sidelined. Yeah. Well, they, well, they were the, yeah. And that's the interesting thing. And this is, this is the kind of stuff that to me, I'm like, okay, if you're going to research this stuff, like unless you see a UFO or you're going to go out and actually try to contact stuff, um, if you're going to just be talking about hearsay, it's much more interesting to do an analysis of these kind of things, right? Like, the fact that two of the stars came out, <clears throat> you know, it had put off, right? It had, mm-hmm. uh, you had Elizondo, you had people from Lockheed Martin coming mm-hmm. out, you know, like talking UFOs and all that. Um, and then they go away and mm-hmm. it went away because Tom DeLong reframed the organization from, we're going to build a saucer to, Oh, by the way, we're just a media organization. And I've got some like fiction that I'm going to be framing this stuff through. Mm-hmm. Um, but, they didn't, you know, 
they served their purpose, right? Like if they had stuck around, like they're never going to build a saucer. Like we're not, we're not going to see a, you know, a, a, a to the start, like Tom DeLonge led company building a UFO, you know, that's never going to happen, but it got that idea into the public and then yep. they're gone and they drift away. And now they can make their, their fiction and they can, I think they still have another book coming out with Lavenda. Um, you know, so like you can, you can bring that stuff in and then go away and that's fine because it works and it moves on. And then Lou Elizondo came out of to the stars and he was able to be the government insider guy who said a lot of stuff with, and Chris Mellon, the, the former, uh, uh, like undersecretary for defense intelligence or whatever he was, you know, like he can come out and he actually, Chris Mellon's interesting because he actually was one of the people who signed off on the declassification of the remote viewing program. So these people have been in it for a long time, you know, and he was able to come out. He was then framed as a media person. They had that TV show on History Channel uh, and it, it, it just it served its purpose of atmosphere. It created the atmosphere where the conversation could be had. You had your experts from the government come out. Those could yep. be replaced by other experts, you know, yep. um, and and so it, it forms this really interesting sort of uh tool you know in the media environment but everybody just wants you know they want their saucer and to me it's much more the the two the stars thing is much more interesting you know and they're they're under you know they're they're being sued right now for their uh the fundraising that they did and and tax issues you know so i mean that's that's more interesting to me you know they they they, they seem to me like what we used to call in the software industry a loss leader yeah, which yeah, is, exactly. Which is, which is necessary to break open a market, especially right. an unknown market. <clears throat> but um, once they That's serve exactly. their purpose, they, they generally don't. They're not the ones that reap the, reap the, the reap the benefit. Like they, somebody comes along. Uh, they don't make any money on it. They usually lose money. They 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 break the ice, and then somebody usually comes behind them and then reaps the benefit. Right. And, uh, I don't well, know who's coming behind them, but it but it seems like a lot of people are trying to come behind them. Yeah, well, I mean, it's interesting. Lou Elizondo was with two of the stars, right? And he was the source yeah, yeah. or one of the main sources for that 2017 New York Times piece. <laughs> um, he's the one, you know, he, he knew Grush beforehand. Yeah. Uh, you know, so these people have all been – and to me what's really interesting too is the fact that a lot of – put off and uh, – some of the other people had a lot of contact with Robert Bigelow, right? Who did his Oh, yeah, yeah, Bigelow, yeah. <laughs> you know, and so, but what's interesting about Bigelow is Bigelow funded Art Bell's first iteration of what would be Coast to Coast existed prior to that, but the area, I think it was called Area 52 with Art Bell or something like that. But it was basically when he was doing NIDS and that where he wanted uh, a a media organ that could popularize the ideas and could talk about it. And you go to old Art yep. Bell and Art Bell's always talking about Bigelow and my friend. Yep. And, you know, he's, yep. you know, he has this ranch and this whatever. And, and area 52, this thing that our, that Bigelow actually paid for to be out was a loss leader. Bigelow said, I don't think you can get enough content to run this any longer. Like I'll give you this much funding and then it's done. And Art Bell just pivoted the, that content to coast to coast, right? Mm -hmm. And then coast mm -hmm. to coast becomes this massive organ of dissemination for these ideas. When the remote viewing program becomes declassified, what's the first place that the remote viewers go to? They go to coast to coast, right? Like, mm -hmm. so mm -hmm. it was, you know, it becomes this thing. And I think that, you know, to the Stars Academy with so many people involved, I'm not saying Bigelow paid for it or, or anything, but those people in that group, uh, you know, knowing this, this sort of like, and, you know, Bigelow is an entrepreneur, 
right? Like he, he funded a, a consciousness chair at the University of Boulder, but he only funded it for like one or two people. I think it was like Dean Radin and maybe Charles Tart, uh, maybe, but it was like one or two. And then he dropped it because it wasn't doing anything. Like he is an entrepreneur. Mm-hmm. He will put money mm-hmm. in. He'll put a bunch of money in. If it doesn't work, move on to the next mm-hmm. one. Move on to the next one. Yeah. Wall, like what doesn't stick, doesn't stick and move on. And so um, to the Stars Academy perfectly fits that bill, right? Like you throw it at the wall. Okay, this, this version of it's not going to fly. What do we have? And you can see it then break off into these little, you know, smaller, more easily uh, run sort of aspects of it, you know, and getting mm-hmm. people mm-hmm. then do it themselves, right? Dude, you get a bunch of people who are like, oh, I want to I wanna run the, the research organization, and then they'll start one up themselves, and it'll work or it won't. Was Bigelow the guy that owned Skinwalker Ranch for a while? Yep. Yeah. Yeah. Yep. Yeah. 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 Okay. Yeah. Yep. That's interesting because that became a big thing, didn't it, a few years ago as well? Yeah, so yeah. Well, in Bigelow, yeah, in the same time, in the same time period, because the it came out that you know it actually had government funding behind it, right? Like he was looking for grants. He worked with NASA and stuff. It wasn't NASA grants that went into Skinwalker, but the Department of Defense put grant money into uh, project money into to the Skinwalker thing, you know. And the thing the thing that's interesting with Bigelow too is if you uh, there's a a British researcher who goes under the name Isaac Coy and he put together a list of people who got funding from Bigelow um hmm. conspiracy people take it one way but the way that I saw it I was amazed at the influence that he had in the conversation um you know he funded Raymond Moody right so then he's he was interested in near death stuff so he funded Raymond Moody. He funded the um, some of the stuff from Kenneth Ring, which is the Omega Project, which looked at the similarities between abduction experiences and UFO experiences and near-death experiences. Um, he funded uh, just so many people. He funded Ray, Dean Radin, right, like who's the big proponent of parapsychology now and, and uh, works with IONS, the Institute of Noetic Sciences. Um, and he, he, he put funding in little seed funding into all these different areas, which then became like the hubs of what we think about when we think about this stuff, you know, near death experiences, abduction research. He was real big on abduction research. He funded some of, uh, Max, John Max stuff. Um, you know, he funded books to be published and that kind of thing. And so, and he did it from what I can tell. And from what I can tell in, in knowing some of the academics, involved in this area and knowing the researchers and that kind of thing it isn't a conspiracy thing right like this guy's not some massive puppet master that's working he honestly has an interest in it um at, at points i would say even in a naive interest in it um and he just did what he does as an entrepreneur uh and and put money into the things that he thought you know needed more money because what happened after the the government psychic programs in the u.s was that up to that point it was mostly foundations. It was, you know, establishment, uh, you know, wealthy establishmentarians putting money into this research. Um, but after the, after the whole government psychic warfare program, that really dropped off and you didn't have individual donors that were as involved, you know, a lot of what we know as, as this topic, right? Like the way that it's framed and the, the topic, the areas that we understand are because, they were the specific areas of interest for donors who put money into the into the different programs and paid for researchers to go out. And there was that great period where the National Enquirer was paying for their they had a UFO focus 
and they would they, i mean they alan hynek was on their like their blue ribbon panel or whatever you know i mean they had some serious people they sent their uh bob pratt down to south america to look into abduction cases and mutilation cases um you know and but that was national inquirer money right which is organized crime and, and, and blackmail you know putting that into it and that's what you know it's like the same thing with jazz you know, like you're either going to get paid by individual rich people who really like jazz. You know, if you look at the foundation of jazz, it was organized crime. It was it was rich people who wanted to have a house band, you know, and then now it's like government grant funding for arts projects. And the psychic research pro- program went through the and, and the UFOs and all that sort of goes through the same cycle, you know. And for, for my money, it's better when the organized crime people and the exploitators are paying for it because they sure. get freedom to the writer to write whatever, yep. you know, like yep. go yep. out and do it. Like, and as long as we can sell it, we'll sell it, you know. Um, yeah. Some of the greatest literature of, of, of the 20th century was was uh, originally funded by, you know, pornography slash organized crime. Yeah. yeah, exactly. I mean, that's and well, it's, it's hilarious to look at the 70s, too, because the the media organs that were talking about the psychic research programs you know a lot of the stuff uh it was it was exploitation magazines myron foss who uh you know he started out doing porn stuff and then he was doing uh, horror comics where he was just basically plagiarizing the ec comic stuff and and the the original like golden age of 50s horror comics he was just taking that stuff and having people repaint it and then publishing even more lurid and bloody he was big in the after jaws he had an amazing run of shark exploitation whereas these <laughs> magazines were just like sharks and then it was just like blood and like he, they, he would have his artist paint blood into the mouth and people you know it was amazing but this right. guy ran uh, the psychic magazines that yuri geller was in you know, and, and the reason that he did it was because people were interested. They buy it. He did um, he did a UFO magazine, too. That was one of the major UFO magazines publishing Keel and all the rest of it. And it was just, you know, it made money. And his his rule was he had a set amount that it had to sell and he would cut it off. He wouldn't publish the next. You know, you could have things ready for the next thing. If it didn't sell the right amount, done. We're moving on to the next thing that sells. And it just so happened that psychic stuff and UFOs in the 70s sold. But he had, you know, uh, some of the things that people look back on now and say, oh, this is an example. I mean, you can look in with Yuri Geller. It's hilarious to see the the researchers writing about Yuri Geller doing a public uh, spoon bending experiment in a in a major magazine. Right. And talking about how this is this this this, you know, popular publication that is, you know, read by X number and and they're doing this whole analysis of this public experiment. But the public experiment was run in a magazine that was published by Myron Foss, who was just like this wacky, amazing uh, exploitation guy, you know, but they don't know that, right? Like all they see is, well, this is on the newsstands and, you know, this is, Mm -hmm. this is talking about our research. So let's analyze it. And they don't recognize that, like, you know, Myron Foss is just this complete exploitation guy who's like, yeah, this will sell, you know. Yeah, it's inter- didn't um, Bob Wilson came from, he used to write in Playboy, didn't he? Yeah, yeah, Playboy, he did. yeah, yeah Playboy yeah. had, a huge, yeah, so, had a huge thing. I mean, he wrote for Playboy, too. Yeah, yeah. So, yeah so it's all about porn. Porn's what brought it all to us. <laughs> it's the where the stuff. money is. I mean, that's, that's the thing with this stuff is where's the funding going to come from? And that's what, that's what makes me upset about the, the UAP thing now is government money has not only strings attached to it, but it has, um, it's, it's short-sighted. It's often misspent. 
you know, it's it's misdirected. The only way you're going to get government money is with a doctorate and, and an institution behind you that's huge. And the amount of, and to get to that point, you've had to like completely not look at so many different things in your topic. And then at the end of the day, you, they want a product, right? Like you can't go to the military and be like, I want to explore human potentials. Like, OK, how are we going to weaponize that? Like, is that going to make people, you know, can we create a medical device out of this? And you can see it in the Institute of Noetic Science now, like. Edgar Mitchell's mission was like, I went up to space and I saw, had the overview effect and I saw the world and now we need to explore these human potentials. IONS now is like, how do we, how do we monetize this? Like, how can we create a product? And so my, the, the example that just sticks with me is um, the idea of Im imbuing intention on an object, right? So this idea that like you have, if you have a distance healing effect, Right. And you can then take that distance of healing effect and like the the um, that the the shape of water idea. Right. Like the idea that it, intention influences the shape of water crystals or water molecules kind of thing. So using that, um, they did experiments with imbuing intention on cloth, cotton cloth. Right. So that if you could do that, then you could imbue healing intention on cotton cloth and sell the cotton cloth as a product right like it's this it's your it's your enhanced bandage right or whatever but the thing is that's a prayer handkerchief like oral i was gonna say yeah it's a prayer handkerchief yep. you know but they don't see that you know why don't they say that because it doesn't sound good you know it's not that's not the way to do it now if we had exploitation people doing it we would have people saying like hey it's the psychic prayer cloth research and, and frame it through that you know um and and the only freedom, the only way you have that freedom is the money from porn, because people, you know, I mean, the, your market for porn is huge. Your market for any of the rest of this stuff is much smaller to the point of being niche and non-existent. Um, but when you have, you know, like Omni Magazine, Omni Magazine didn't exist because there was this huge readership that was all super excited for Omni Magazine. It existed because Guccione's wife was really interested in these topics and said, Hey, you need to fund a magazine for this. So you get the guy from penthouse making, you know, or uh, making the, uh, the giving the funding to create Omni magazine, which becomes this amazing, you know, cultural artifact, uh, that couldn't have existed without all the money behind porn because the, the circulation itself did not pay for that magazine. It didn't pay for those illustrations. It didn't pay for the, having some of the top sci-fi writers and, you know, top, uh, thinkers and all the rest of it, uh, you couldn't you couldn't pay for that with the actual circulation. You paid for it because it was being funded by porn and exploitation. Who funds Nexus Magazine? Do you remember Nexus Magazine? Oh yeah, yeah, I, I do, I but I don't remember who funded it. I bought one the other like a few months ago, and it was I, it's it's a conspiracy magazine now, isn't it? It's really bizarre. Yeah, it's, yeah, it's really it never. I'm sure oh, it is used it to be? Yeah, it used to be kind of like UFOs and. Um, kind of like high strangeness, didn't it? It was almost like a sort of tidier 14 times at one point. Of, yeah. uh, when I was younger, I remember reading it a lot. But then I picked one up thinking, oh, God, it's, I didn't even know it was still going. And I found it in a, in a cult bookshop in London. And um, yeah, no, it was just all about 5G and all that kind of stuff. Yeah. I was like, oh, no. Oh, God. And also, it was very, um, it was all about like cancel culture. And, you know, it was yeah. very, it had a definite political shift as well. It was really, that was kind of interesting as well. It's like, hmm. That stuff kind of seems to go hand in hand a lot now, doesn't it? I've been having this idea. Um, it's just an idea at the moment, but 
I'm sort of thinking about um, possibly it being a, something I might write about, but um, I've come up with this. Well, I haven't come up with this idea, but I've been collecting these ideas of municipal magic. I'm calling it <laughs> at the moment. It's the kind of weird uh, term I'm using, but I find it fascinating when governments or kind of municipal groups become interested in occult subjects, um, and it just kept coming up over and over again um, in my sort of news feeds and things, things like the Monroe um, Institute and their involvement mm -hmm. with the CIA. I mean, you could say Montauk yeah. to a degree, couldn't you, if, depending on how real that is. I don't, I don't know. But yeah. there's, there's something particularly fascinating about um, when a government becomes interested in something that strange. Um, yeah. I, I don't know why I find that so fascinating, but it's like very early days at the moment, but I'm starting to sort of collect these kind of um you know these uh these encounters almost where the where the where almost like our world hits the government world and it's kind of like yeah uh, yeah it's it's a sort of fascinating thing but what about you guys have you ever um you know encountered this kind of stuff as well or usually when the government when a municipal organization is paying attention to <clears throat> something we'll call st weird um it's uh, in one in one sense it, it's a it, it's a good framework that they're looking at it for they're like what is what is this as a phenomena and how, how how does it affect us and how does it affect our people and, and these and kind how of can things. we exploit but, it is usually the other thing well, right? and yeah. that's the part yeah. that's the part yeah. where yeah. it kind of goes off the rails for me is like and how can we exploit this hmm. but the first part at least is interesting it's like you know like let's look at this objectively and what is it as a phenomena instead of like you know how does this work? Uh, how can you, how, do we believe it? How can we believe it? Let's just look at what it is and see how it affects the populace. And then of course that always segues into, and how can we leverage that? Um, yeah. so if, if we could, if we could cut that part off, but we, but unfortunately <laughs> we're humans, we're humans and we, we don't, and we can't. So, um, but what's but interesting you know, is what got it to that point though. What the thing, what was so special about these particular things that warranted, money from the government to investigate them that's the kind of thing that's yeah. interesting to me well it's usually because like, they're looking at a way to exploit it yeah i guess yeah so. yeah or or fears right i mean the, like the, the monroe institute the reason that they, that they became one robert monroe was uh, a wealthy he had brought cable to cable television to virginia right mm. so he was a wealthy television executive i think he did audio as well you know he was he was an he was established he was an established figure so when he wrote this thing about out-of-body experience, and not only did he write it, but he also funded a research group to create binaural beats and to create to look at the sounds and that could retrain the brainwave, like uh, psychic secrets from behind the Iron Curtain or whatever that was the the book that came out in like seventies, mm -hmm. like seventy one or so that uh, wrote about you know oh the Soviets have this stuff right like the Soviets <laughs> are doing it and it was it was I mean it was called the psi gap right we had the we had the missile gap which was they've got more missiles than we have you know um, and there was the psi gap which was you know oh Soviets they're doing all this this research into this stuff we need to get on that too um, and so Monroe had wasn't it I think they were called the cosmonauts uh, cosmos yeah the Russian cosmos cosmos yeah. yeah sorry that's yeah. Like, not cosmonauts yeah yeah um, yeah. And so they, you know, so there was this need for it and then who do you go to? Right. And that, I, I love this. I love this concept of, of municipal magic. Cause it's who do you, you're a minute, you're, you're a respectable, you know, organization, you're a government organization. Who do you go to, to look at the weird stuff, which suddenly fits within your paradigm, right? Like mm -hmm. the paradigm of the cold war was us versus them. They've got it. We need it. Now, where do we go? 
right? Mm -hmm. Like you can't go to the people that are, you know, on TV with like big hair and a cape and are like, I'm a psychic, you know, Mm -hmm. like, but you can go to the respectable businessman who had these experiences, who's created an organization that can, you know, enhance this stuff, right? And so they start to bring in those people. And what's interesting now, I mean, you see it with the UAP thing, right? Like, they have to go to certain people. They got to go. You can't go to, you know, and they do, which is which is in, like the Ethereum society. It's funny when they misstep and they bring in somebody who everybody within the culture knows like, oh, those that wasn't the person you should talk to, you know, but um, they don't know that, you know, but, you know, you get Gary Nolan, right? Who's at Stanford. And so he's perfect, right? He's a Stanford. He's he's as close to a noble, like almost nominee kind of thing. He's done all this stuff. He's had uh, government clearance on his research for, um, you know, the the genetic stuff that he does, the biochemistry stuff that he does. He's a perfect establishment figure that can step forward and and be authentic about it, you know, to the municipality, to the to the government organization. You know, and it's, it's fascinating. And like Joe said, you know, but at the end of the day, what is the government looking for or the, these, you know, more establishment groups? What are they looking for? They're looking for a product. They're looking for they're not looking for the pure thing itself. They're looking for that thing so that they can use it against something else. Soviets have better psychics than we do. We need to train better psychics than the Soviets so that we can close the side gap. You know. And that's hilarious because I think because I think from what my research showed me is that the, the Soviets didn't really have much success with their with their remote viewing psychic spy program, but they but they put it out that they did, and yeah. in doing so they created the psy gap which didn't yeah. really exist, but they created it. And then we, the United States, threw all this money into remote viewing, and um, we sent out like Jim Channon who came back and and kind of went native as they used to say. Um, it's like he comes back and he's like one of them all of a sudden, which was yeah, like yeah. majorly cool. I met Jim in Santa, in Santa Barbara and he was actually a really nice guy. Um, he made me an honorary member of the first earth battalion, um, <laughs> which, which I was like, thank dude, Thank you. Yeah, yeah. Um, <laughs> I've been, I've been knighted. I've been anointed. But the Russians, um, they had some interesting programs though, that did seem they to did, be but, like Kozarev and that sort yeah, of stuff. Yeah, the really Kozarev mirrors are incredible yeah. I yeah, yeah, yeah i mean that stuff is amazing like they mm. did they did have they did have a program mm. but I, I think they but i think they um they didn't have the success that they said they did because mm. that was kind of an op to say that they did so it's kind of weird because they probably did that to uh, to to cause the united states to like um spend a lot of time and resources on something they didn't feel would ever come to fruition or or, or yield anything useful and who knows like really i mean you know, there's, there's the B, the A side and the B side. Like, Channon actually came up with some interesting stuff. Um, whether, you, whether you think he was crazy or not, he, had, he came up with some interesting stuff. Um, on the other side of the coin, you've got the remote viewing program, which you got Ingo Swan, who I think was legitimate. But then you got Ed, Ed Dames, who I don't think was yeah. very legitimate yeah. at all. So, you know, it, it, yeah. it, was, it, was, uh, it was hit and miss. Yeah. My favorite, my favorite gap that is not talked about from that time period, um, and I, uh, I ran into it and realized the concept of the gap, um, and was just I was blown away by. It. I mean, like this, this is literally my favorite, my favorite example of this is the Bigfoot gap. There are Russian, <laughs> no, I'm sorry, Soviet studies, Soviet studies of the Patterson Gimlin film that huh. look at the cybernetic. Right. Like look at it through a, a, an image of Soviet 
cybernetics, which is how do you create, how does, how does the human and the system interact with each other, right? Mm -hmm. And so it was analyzing the Bigfoot gate as an example of this perfect union of form and function. And there, so they analyzed the Patterson-Gimlin film as this psycho-cybernetic like, example of the perfect form and function of a humanoid creature. And there's, mm -hmm. there's like one or two papers on this. And it's amazing. I mean, that's awesome. Like that to me is just, that's, that's a beautiful example of like the Soviets got there first, like we need to go. Unfortunately, the U.S. obviously never had a Bigfoot uh, weaponization program. Maybe they did. Maybe that's actually the, the deep black op is... <laughs> is that they, they weaponize Bigfoot, you know, and we don't we don't realize it, but there's Bigfoot super soldiers like wandering around. Um, but yeah, it's just it's a it's it's a beautiful thing. I really this this idea of municipal magic, I think, is 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 wonderful and really timely too, because again, that's what's happening with this UAP stuff. You have absolutely, you have, absolutely, yeah, this, yeah. This topic yep. is. is something there's this it always it's always sort of fascinated me in the background but i've really started to sort of collect it up now a bit more and sort of I've, i have like a folder full of uh of, uh, like little bits of research that i kind of need to put together and you know maybe put into like a book or something i don't know but i've got a ton of uh a ton of examples and i'm really sort of focused in on it quite a lot at the moment so it'll be quite it could be quite an interesting uh interesting topic to you know investigate properly i think yeah, might be a good book. Mm. Anyway, but yeah, that's cool. Um, I've got an idea of how I'm going to edit this now, I've, <laughs> especially because we could just have it so it um, it dips in and out of the conversation a little bit, if you know what I mean. So it's sort of I was thinking maybe having like a sort of staticky sound or something, so that you know. You oh yeah. So, so it almost oh, feels yeah, like yeah. dropping. So it feels like as the listener, you're dropping yeah. in on a conversation rather than it being yeah. like welcome to episode one or well, you know all that kind of stuff. Yeah. Yeah, it might be more interesting. So it's almost like you're intruding on a conversation. I, li I like that kind of stuff. Yeah, I love that. Yeah, you're, I love you're, that. You're yeah, tuning. Yeah. You're tuning. You're tuning in via your your shortwave radio and yeah, picking yeah. this up. <laughs> yeah. which, which you know, when I was a kid, I was in the shortwave, and I used to do that. I would just like I would just sit and listen to other people talking. It was amazing. Yeah, that's. I mean, I try to force it here in you know in Georgia. Um, the the radio possibilities are limited. You know. Um, and when I was like, I was living on 114 acres, uh, in rural Georgia. So I was really like just dirt roads and like everything. And I would like kind of get it almost to the, the Christian station, you know, the, whatever they were playing and like, just sort of let it like sit in that in between. So you'd sort of catch some of it. And it was, you know, in 2017, when the, the UFO stuff came out, it was awesome because they all jumped on it. And it's, so I have these like, you know, just listening to the staticky and then it suddenly would be UFOs and demons and then static and then some like gospel music. It's awesome. But it was a forced recreation of that time period. You know, like, great. there's a university somewhere over there in the States that has a shortwave. It has every shortwave band in the world and you can manipulate it um, on, in a web interface. So you can literally just drag oh, it. Oh, yeah, 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 yeah. And yeah. you can get some insane sounds out of that thing. It's yeah. Like, it's really, yeah. you're like, what the hell causes that? It's like these <laughs> strange, strange, like, pulses. And it's, 
yeah it's a, a, a sample heaven for someone that's really into yeah. like strange, strange kind of uh you know uh experimental stuff but yeah no i spent an age I, when i first found that my girlfriend actually went mad she was like i cannot put up with that noise anymore <laughs> i've got hours of recordings of it <laughs> sat on a hard drive somewhere but yeah no cool. I'm, I'm always looking out for number stations and things like that trying to find them i must be able to find them on there somewhere because it's literally <laughs> every band of, of shortwave in the in the world there's so there's, a, there's still a few but but they're but they're few I, i'm a big um listener of shortwave still um yeah the, the 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 number stations have gone down in in numbers there's like not as many of them you you can find them but they're just they're not as prevalent as they used to be yeah. 